0: <Sings> Welcome to episode 11 of It Takes a Village, a podcast of Healing Hands International out of Nashville. My name is Mark Gent, and I'm recording this episode solo today as Taryn is out of town. And by the nature of today's topic, focusing on what is happening in the Ukraine, we're wanting to record and upload this podcast as soon as possible. If you're familiar with us here at HHI, you know that one of our pillars in ministry is how we respond to international crisis and disasters. Those are often natural disasters, of course, but what's on our hearts right now is we're just hurting Uh, for the people in Ukraine and in Eastern Europe and the humanitarian crisis that's taking place. Uh, So today we have on a special guest, Dr. Gary Jerkins, who has a long-time connection to us here at HHI, but also has been involved in missions and ministry for over 25 years in the Ukraine. So we hope that you learn something. We hope that uh, you'll consider getting involved through one of the avenues we'll tell you about at the end. So here is my interview with Gary Jerkins. Gary, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming into the office today and recording, being with us on It Takes a Village. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So we're so excited. Gary's very familiar with Healing Hands and vice versa, and we're going to get to know him a little bit today. But like we talked about already, we're going to focus on the crisis that's going on in Ukraine here shortly. But let's get to know you A little bit, so our listeners have an idea of who you are and what you do. So you're a native of Nashville, uh, one of the very few that's left. Uh, (laughs) Precisely. Yes, there's 18 other people in town who have been in Nashville as long as you have.
1: Exactly, born in Old Hickory, Tennessee. Born in
0: Old Hickory. Absolutely. Awesome. You and your wife, Karen, uh, you met in high school? Met in
1: high school, high school, sweethearts, 47 years. 47 47 years.
0: years. Where'd y'all go to high school?
1: Uh, David Lipscomb,
0: high school. Okay. David Lipskin High School, that's great. Well, and you have three kids, six grandkids. Correct. And yeah. uh, so, just a question we like to add that I wanted to ask you tell us something about your family or some things. It doesn't have to be just one. Tell us something that brings you joy about uh, about your family.
1: Wow. Family. I mean, you know, that, that's family is a sin, joy is probably a synonym for family. I mean, it really is. And uh, as you get older, uh, you get to see your your kids grow up and they become young adults and, and they get to be not just your children, but they get to be kind of your acquaintances and friends. But I think the joy that I see in, in our family is to, to watch them grow up and have their own family and to kind of relive their childhood while they live in the, uh, the childhood with their children and to, to kind of watch them grow and learn and maybe have some appreciation of what it was like to raise them and uh, and and kind of to live long enough for them to say, hey, thanks, uh, uh, you, you made some good decisions. Yeah, that's, that's pretty nice.
0: Yeah, that's great. And then grandkids come over to visit, and they get to hang out with y'all, and you well, load them up with sugar, and then you send them home for the night. Absolutely,
1: and... there are no there are no rules at our house, and certainly whatever happens at our house stays at our house. Nice. And, uh, so yeah, but uh, four I uh, have four grandchildren in Memphis and two in Austin, Texas. So
0: okay. they, they they come and uh, then we send them off. That's great. That's great. So, talking about your education, you went to David Lipscomb College correct for your undergrad. Yes. So were you a lifer? I was a lifer. Well, except I didn't go to I didn't I didn't
1: go to kindergarten.
0: Yeah, okay. Didn't go to kindergarten. At all? Like you didn't go anywhere to kindergarten? No, no. Okay, you just started first grade. Well, I think you came out okay, education-wise. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so went to Lipscomb now, the Lipscomb University for undergrad. Then you followed that up. You went to med school, went to UT Memphis to become an ophthalmologist. Yes. And been practicing since 1982. All right. Uh, you know, I just a lot of people who go into medicine, become a doctor, uh, probably could have gone into any medicine that you wanted to. So w- why the eyes? Why were you appealed to uh, going to school into ophthalmology?
1: Well, yeah, it, interesting. You probably could talk to most anybody in any profession, and they probably saw somebody that they, they admired or they wanted to emulate, they wanted to be like. Uh, I, was, uh, I was exposed to some, some ophthalmologist early in my life, my mom. Uh, worked for an ophthalmologist for a short period of time and and I got to see that th- that subspecialty within medicine was I could see young people uh, I could see older people and, uh, and in medicine it was something that I wanted to do that I wanted to be able to fix something mm. and uh, you know you take the 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 ten year old in the fourth grade he can't see the board you put him in glasses and the teenagers that don't want to be seen in glasses you put them in contacts and then as they grow older they develop cataracts and all of a sudden their independence independence is uh, threatened and you take their cataracts out and you you fix something and mm-hmm. you you are able to help them retrieve independence so uh, th- th- that that kind of broad spectrum of being able to see that. I, age group was appealing to me and to be able to fix something
0: that's awesome that's great and we'll get into a minute how you have taken that gift and that talent and that calling and uh, where you serve others not only just through your practice but around the world so you've uh, we're in private practice for a number of years mm-hmm. and uh, since 2019 you've been with the team over at Loden vision Correct. right right yep. and um, and this is 40 years of practice 40 years. 40 years, four decades, yeah. which means you're going into your fifth decade. Uh, absolutely. You, you don't have to keep dwelling on that. <laughs> <laughs> so any big I'm well cele- aware. <laughs> any big celebrations this year for 40 years? Absolutely none. Okay. Well, this podcast can be your celebration. This, let's make this a celebratory podcast. This is okay. the celebratory podcast. And you've seen the practice change a lot over the years. I mean, I, I can't sure. imagine what it was like in 1982 compared to what it's like going in the office today. No. It's different it's Very different. different yeah my, my
1: oldest son's an ophthalmologist and the the, the 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 kind of distressing thing is he'll say things like dad I uh you did surgeries I've only read about in books mm. so the interesting thing I've been able in in four decades to see that's the remarkable e- evolution in the technology and what we're able to do and and uh, the world of ophthalmology. So it's, it's yeah. quite gratifying.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So after 40 years, what would you say today for you over at Lodin Vision? What does a day look like in the life of an ophthalmologist?
1: Uh, s- still a lot of patients. I mean, I, s- I still th- see 35 to 40 patients three days a week. Uh, kind of as a side uh, part of that is I've done clinical uh, research, clinical trials for the last 15 years, and so I actually have a, a a company called advancing vision research and so i uh, the other two days of the week i'm doing clinical trials so uh that has allowed me as as an older practitioner to kind of still keep my, my my finger in the pie so to speak kind yeah. of and it's to kinda, and it stay, keep current which is which is hard to do because technology moves moves remarkably fast but uh yeah it's uh, it, it's it's still long days, and I like it. And, you know, some days, like everybody else, you get up and say, well, I don't think I've got the energy to do this. And then, lo and behold, uh, you see those first couple of people, and, you know, it's it's, it's like a shot of adrenaline. So it, I enjoy it. I still yeah. enjoy it.
0: All right, Gary. You've had a long relationship with Healing Hands, uh, going back almost to the beginning. You were served on our board for a decade or so in the early days. Yes. Um, but what do you recall about us as an organization back then? Uh, it's 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 a kind of a,
1: an amazing memory in that I'm sitting in a room here, this this nice building, and with a huge warehouse uh, attached and. Uh, I was on the board when uh, we were still sharing space with disaster relief, and, and, and that was that was interesting. I mean, two very large humanitarian organizations, one domestic, one international, and I can remember sitting in the board meeting and say, you know, we don't have enough room. Where are we going to go? I mean, that was kind of the common thing, and it, most of the board meetings were filled with things like uh, how many trailers can we have in the back parking lot to put things in because we didn't have any place to put it, and then we moved to another place that I, not far from where we sit right now. And then finally, uh, the, the Lord blessed the board, and uh, and we have the the facility you have now. So so I came on board. Uh, um, I've se- I've seen that kind of progression from uh, sharing a spot to having a really nice facility here that really uh, does God's work
0: well. Yeah, it's been a lot of growth in the ministry over the years. This year our 30th anniversary, which we've talked about previously on the podcast. And um, we'll get into more here in just a minute about how you've continued to stay connected with Healing Hands through your trips. But the primary reason we're wanting to have you on the podcast today and to have you as our guest is because of your longstanding relationship with Ukraine. And uh, everybody who's listening to this knows about the uh, crisis that's going on in Ukraine with uh, Russia invading, and now it's a all-out war. And over one and a half million people have fled the country, and our hearts are just heavy. Um, It's on my mind. I know at least uh, every night uh, when I go to bed, I'm thinking about it, praying for the people. And then when I get up in the morning, I want to know what the latest, what's happened overnight, and Um, but you're somebody who, um, they're more than just like, you know, the names and you know, the faces of the, of people who you've got to be friends with over the years. So, um, you've made over 40 trips to the Ukraine, uh, back starting around 1996. Is that right? 19 October 25th, 1996. Wow. A specific date. How did you – so just tell us a little bit. How did you get involved in going to the Ukraine? What, what took you on that first trip, and um, how did you uh, get involved to go serve? Uh,
1: well, it, I, I love to tell this story because I've told it any number of times because that question always gets so why, – why Ukraine? Uh, 1996, uh, I get a phone call from my brother who is a physician in Memphis and uh, attends the Highland Street Church of Christ there. And uh, he says, we're, we're taking a multi-specialty group of physicians, and we're going to Ukraine, and we'd like for you to be the, the eye guy on the trip. And I'm thinking, I don't know about this. And he added, and if you'll go, I'll pay for the trip. Mm-hmm. Now, that, that's, that's, that's significant, but that's an inside story, but mm-hmm. that's significant. Especially coming from brother. Especially coming from her brother. But, uh, I mean, literally— First of all, the end of the story, I ended up paying for my own trip. But (laughs) um, I literally, like many people who listen to this, I literally had to go to the globe. I had an old globe. I had to figure out, where is Ukraine? And it was part of the old Soviet Union, but where is Ukraine?
0: Yeah, at that point, it hadn't been a country very long. Not very
1: long. uh, 1991, I Mm -hmm. believe. So. Uh, I, I literally, and I suspect there's a lot of people listening to this that, that had to go say, now, let me go figure out this thing. But if you watch the news, everybody's brother knows where Ukraine is. So I went on the trip, and it, you never know. You get on the, uh, I journaled during that trip, and I've gone back and read that. And it's like, why am I going? Why am I going? And I still will get on a trip and say, kind of like, why am I going? Or when other people go with me, they'll say, so what am i going to do and i say sometimes you just go just to be Mm. and uh, the first trip led to the next and then led to the next and you made you made uh, friends and acquaintance both professionally and then from in churches and humanitarian aspects and um, each trip tend to have the next trip so I, i need to go back and i need to do this and i need to go back and i need to do this and and uh, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten on the plane in the last 26 years and said, okay, this is, this is probably my last trip because this project that we're dealing with at this point in time or this hospital or this clinic or this group, I, th- I think we pretty much w- we have people in place that will, can, can be self-sustaining and they'll, they can take the project forward. You know, and, and God's always got a little surprise right around the corner. There's a lot of people call them God winks. And all of a sudden you're introduced to another person that has another idea and there's another project and it's like, okay, I guess I'm coming back. And yeah. uh, so one trip turns into 47. 40.
0: Yeah. yeah, wow. And what, what's the intent and purpose and the mission behind most of your trips? It all started at, at medically, uh, medically, but, but also related with
1: humanitarian aid. So those were, all, those were always tied t- together. And then as time went on, I, I made really good friends with some some ophthalmologists over there, and some some of them I call them my Ukrainian brothers, and I have a Ukrainian niece over there, and you know, and and we jokingly call each other that, and but but through that you end up opening the humanitarian door there, and you help clinics, and you know, help hospitals, you know, we've taken microscopes in and, and all surgical surgical teams in and so and that just keeps opening the door all all with the backdrop of uh, why are we there? Because we're Christians and we want to wanna share the, the, the love of God and we want to share the, the the gospel of Christ. And that's always the backdrop. Now we don't go in with our microscope and, and here's the microscope and here's the Bible. Um, but it's interesting that somewhere along the way, without exception, some of the doctors will say, so why do you do this? And there's the door. Mm-hmm. And there's the door. And you have to be prepared to open, to, to step through that door and answer that question.
0: Yeah, well, when you're going to serve and to be the hands and feet of Jesus, uh, they can see that. They can see that you are gonna that you are light and that you're there for a greater sense of purpose and a greater calling. How have you seen um, uh, just the health care in general change in Ukraine over the last 26 years? as it relates to specifically what you do?
1: Uh, it's interesting because you go into clinics and uh, it, it's like, I've been, in, I've been in some of the best clinics that I've ever seen in the world um, in Kiev, like State of the art, everything. You can drive the equivalent of 30 to 40 miles outside the city and you go back three or four decades uh in time in terms of medicine not in medical knowledge i mean the 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 physicians i'm with are remarkably smart they're up to speed they have internet they they keep up with all things but they kind of don't they don't have the tools with which to to practice their 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 specialty Uh, i mean us getting a microscope you know just with the help of of uh, humanitarian groups like healing hands international uh getting a microscope to a hospital um is into a surgeon, a capable surgeon, does, is, is enormous. Uh, you know, you can, take a, you can take a surgery team in and we can, we can do lots of cataract surgeries in a short period of time, but man, if you could give that in the hands of a skilled, uh, a skilled surgeon and he can now serve the community, and uh, then we can go home and say, all right, what, what do you need next? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, that's, that's what you can do out there. So what we've seen, to answer your question a little better, is we've seen the ability through Healing Hands International and other organizations that we have now credibility that okay, I want to, I have a regional hospital and I want to, uh, Doctor Sergey's there and he's an excellent young surgeon and he needs this. How can you get that for him? And then you put out the word and you know God provides. Yeah, God provides.
0: What about the country and the people have um, you fallen in love with oh, that my now? you know 26 years later you're so passionate and right now your heart's breaking um but what about the, the country and the people um have made you that passionate and, and inevitably they have shaped you into who you are like they're part of your story
1: oh that's a hard one that's a hard one uh you know I, I, I sometimes tell the story that when the first trip you go over and you have you, got your camera now this is 96 nobody has a cell phone and you've got a camera and you take pictures of I mean thousands of pictures and you come back and you go to church and you show your pictures and anybody who'll t- listen to you will you'll talk to them and you, well, you show had to wait them. 2
0: weeks to get your pictures back from the Walmart so, but you, photo if you lab. paid extra
1: you could go across <laughs> the street and they'd have it 20 so but you showed pictures and pictures and pictures And and the the next trick, you show pictures, and then all of a sudden, the pictures of places—you know, how many pictures can you take of of the cathedral? The pictures of places turned into pictures of people, Mm. and so it's all about the people. And that's thus your question. And um, my initial trips were—I was—I was—I was stunned that. There was a lack of trust, and I think that, that I think that comes out of the uh, I think that comes out of the old Soviet Union. I mean, the, the, you didn't trust anybody, and it's like, why are you coming? Why are you doing this? It was it was it was novel for them to have an a, American doctor. The, the first hospital I visit over there, I'm getting on an elevator, and I'm riding up to the third floor to to view their surgery suites, and the, the lady who was running the elevator was an elderly babushka with had on, on her scarf. And she rubbed my back, both when I got on the elevator to go up, and then we came back down. She she put her hand and she rubbed my back. And I asked the the, the doctor why. And she says she's going to go home tonight, and she's going to tell her family that she touched an American. Mm-hmm. So it was it was such a novelty, and that she couldn't get trust. Then when we got we worked with the same people over and over and over again, when that trust was there, it was like such. The people we work with were, were caring. They cared about their family. Uh, they're no different than we are. They, they love their children. They love their kids. They're very protective of them. And uh, you've just seen, seen over the, the course of my experience over there, you've seen people kind of open up and be a little bit more trusting, and, and that helps you, that helps to
0: be more receptive to the story that we like to tell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that's going to lead us into um, – Really, where God has led you several years ago with C Star Kids. In 2010, you founded a nonprofit uh, organization that's based out of Nashville, but it serves the people of Ukraine. That I was reading up on, it, and its mission is to serve disadvantaged youth in Ukraine through summer Bible camp, year-round youth activities, and college scholarships. Tell us a little bit about C Star Kids and how it came about. Well.
1: Over the trip, she asked earlier, you know, the purpose, you know, it started with medicine, but we always were church-based, faith-based. We always went to church. And what you saw over the years, you went back the, the next year the next year, and you saw, saw the, little, the, the little children, and they grew up, and they grew up, and they grew up, and you watched them grow right in front of your eyes. And, and there was, there was uh, you know, the old Soviet Union had a large, very uh, significant camp system. And it, it turned out that a lot of these young people are at, at the churches I was going to really didn't qualify for the camps. And a lot of them were, were children of single families, uh, a single parent, uh, some of them were living with granny, didn't have parents. And I'm thinking, here's these young people at church and they really can't get into the camp system and we already have a foot in the door spiritually with them. They know about God, they know about Jesus, they have a favorite Bible story, they have a favorite Bible character, they have a favorite song that they sing. We need to do a camp. We do a camp. Well, you know, that's that's a nice idea, but you know, Nashville's 7,000 miles from Ukraine. And so then you start putting people together that that that, that share the same passion. And so our goal was to to start start a camp, and, and send it to basically what what most of our kids have gone to is a, is a, is a, a, a summer Bible camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the interesting thing from that is um, most of the kids are from the city. They're either from Kiev or Odessa. And so the, 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 the line I like to use is, our camp starts on a train. Because mm-hmm. so these kids will get on a train to Kiev they've never seen the Gulf of Mexico, a, a place like the Gulf of Mexico, or or, the, or or Gatlinburg. So they put them on the train in Kiev, and they get off in Odessa, and they see the Black Sea. Mm. First Pretty time. Pretty amazing. First time. Think about that. And then the next year, we put them on the train, and they they go to the Carpathian Mountains. That's like getting off in the Smoky Mountains. They've never seen that. They've only lived in a city. Wow. And so, and and, and and think about that. Do you... Uh, what, what an interesting segue into to talk to them about God and their creator. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the unique things we do with our camp is we, we don't let Americans go. Mm. We made that decision early on. We wanted it to be culturally pure. And you
0: equip I'm, and empower the
1: locals exactly. to run the camps. I wanted the, I wanted the little girls and the little boys to be taught about Jesus and God and Christianity from a, a Christian uh, a Ukrainian Christian that's a teenager or your teenage Christian boy and girl. And they know the language, they know the customs, they know the world in which the, the educational system, they know the world in which they are going to grow up in, they'll know the temptations, they know all of that. Um, you know, you could bring a bunch of Americans in, and, I, and I'm not against that, but they're not dumb. They know we get on a plane and we fly back to a place that's not like like theirs. So we've kept it culturally pur- pure. I've, I've, we've had 10 camps. I've never been to a camp. I've always thought I would maybe sneak in one day, but that would just be a, a distraction. But
0: yeah, wow. Tell us a little bit about. You've touched on this, but um, those kids who go to those camps, uh, their demographic, their backgrounds. I'm also curious. What's the predominant religion in Ukraine?
1: Uh, it's usually Orthodox.
0: You know, it, it's it's
1: Orthodox. In fact, you can't go through any small. Uh, Village, as you ride on the country, then you know the uh, the cathedral will will dwarf everything else in, in the city. So it's mo- mostly Orthodox. Uh, the The children are mostly, we say, disadvantaged or children at risk. Maybe is a better phrase. Um, the, my, my favorite story is about a little girl named nastia nastia I met her when she was five years old, and she was at a church she come to church with Granny, and Granny uh, was going to be baptized. And we met Nastya, and uh, so we were going to support Nastya. And so, through another organization, uh, we supported her on, an, on, a, on a monthly basis. And Nastia became kind of one of our first C star kids. Now, mm-hmm. she was five years old. When she got old enough, she went to camp. Nasty then went to every camp and then she became one of our counselors we call them star keepers and so when she was our star keeper then she's now she's now old enough to go to university and so we morphed sea star kids morphed into a scholarship program wow. and so she was a star sea star kid at camp she was a star keeper and then she's a, a scholar, and she just finished her her pharmacy degree last year. Wow! And it comes full circle. And and she and and she was raised by granny because uh, her mother didn't want her, and she didn't know who her dad was, so she was raised by her granny. Wow! And, and that that's that's reasonably representative of this. We, we 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 have some connection with several orphanages there, but a lot of them are are kids
0: that go to small churches and probably don't have any other means whereby they could go to camp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That uh, leads me just thinking about the generation to her grandmother that mm-hmm. you talked about. Yes. You know, if you if for the kids who are in camps now, if you rewind, say, two generations and you go to their grandparents, um, what was it like for them to grow up in Ukraine back during the Cold War um, under the Soviet Union? Um, r- rewind two generations for us and give us a snapshot of what it was like. I mean, that's not that long ago. No. I mean, that, that was just shortly before you started going. S- a simple story, the first trip we, we met a young
1: lady who lived in a flat, and, uh, and had lived there for probably 25 to 30 years, and did not know her next door neighbor. Now that's in a high rise apartment building in a flat, did not know her next door neighbor, mainly because of distrust, because in her family is a little girl Somebody she'd wa- she'd awakened one morning and her daddy was gone. And years later, after the Soviet Union fell and it became independent, it was learned that the the KGB came and got him. and she learned that that many years later. That's the world in which they lived. and that's why I, I alluded to earlier, the, the the kind of the distrust issue there, which is totally. unknown to us. We tend to be remarkably trusting people and they are not very trusting uh, probably no culture like that. Quick story. My first trip in 1996 I stood on the pedestal where er where years earlier the pedestal where the statue of Lenin had stood and it had been toppled during the uh, independence move. And I stood there and somebody took a picture of me with that and in the background is a picture of a McDonald's. Now, you think about that, where Lennon's statue stood, and there's McDonald's, which is about as much a symbol of Westernism as you could possibly have. And every time we were there, and one of the big things that we do outings for our Star kids is we take them to McDonald's. I mean,
2: yeah,
1: big stuff. Yeah. But uh, it's, it, it, and, and I'm, I remember standing there, and our group stood around that pedestal, and we all said it's going to be the next generation that's gonna make a difference. Fast forward 2018, Maidan, February 2018, almost exactly four years ago, and there in the city where you saw all the people in Independence Square, and they're rejecting a president of Ukraine who does not want to be a part of the EU but wants to be a part of Russia. And uh, and, and And I sit there in the middle of the night watching that and I was texting back and forth with a young lady that I knew over there. And I'm thinking, that's the next generation I talked about in 1996. And here we are 22 years later. And there they are out there. And they, they know what they want. They, 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 they've looked to the West. And in the, th- the chilling thing she sent me in one of the texts, she says, when this is over, speaking of my Don, she says, when this is over, there's going to be a lot for Christians to do. And I can't help but think, in the middle of this crisis, the very same statement is appropriate. When this is over, and I don't know when that's gonna be, there's gonna be a lot for Christians to do.
0: Yeah, and that generation that you talk about is the same generation um, that we're seeing right now. It is. That is rising up and is not standing for um, uh, the atrocities that are being thrown at them and that they're um, they're protecting their country. They're yeah. protecting what they believe in. Uh, so one of the another reason we wanted to have you on not just we wanted to talk about Sea Star Kids, but we wanted to give our listeners a sense of what's happening on the ground from a perspective of someone like yourself, who just has these deep um, rooted relationships with the Ukrainian people and. Um, I can't imagine what it was like for you a couple of weeks ago when it broke out. Uh, it must have just been gut-wrenching for you to watch. Uh, were you surprised when the invasion happened, and how did that hit you personally? Uh, you know, it, it surprised me. Uh,
1: in in my mind, not to be geopolitical, but uh, I told somebody the week before, I said there's no, there's no way Putin is going to uh, he's invade because basically he's got everything he wants right now uh, without firing a shot uh, i think obviously inside that man's mind is beyond anybody's capability um you know i sit there on that wednesday night on that wednesday night and i watch the correspondent uh being interviewed and as he's talking the air raid sirens go off and i i don't think i've ever had a feeling like that before because uh, that's like, I'm hearing this on the television, and I've got people there that I know and I love, and that's what they're hearing. And that, that's just an ominous, ominous sound. You know, since that time, um, if you saw the other day, there was a, uh, an attack on the Holocaust Memorial, a place called Bobby Yar, uh, in a big TV tower. The, the, uh, the lady who is the director of our camp, uh, Galena Shirovchuk, uh, lives three blocks from there. Uh, we haven't heard from her in two weeks. Uh, I, I, I prefer to think that she's just gone dark and and is is trying to protect her family. Uh, there's other families over there that we've been able to keep up with through Facebook and other means. You know, that have made it through the, through the Slovakian border and uh, to the Polish border. Uh, some people are along the way. Some people have gone up, can't leave, and they're up in the villages. Um, yeah it's 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 real it's it's real i know these people i know their names i uh, i got an email from one of my young doctor friends in western ukraine in the city called ivana frankisk and at the end of her email she says uh, she says why do the russians hate us
0: mm.
1: i'm thinking she's that generation she's probably 28 29 years old mm-hmm. so why do the russians hate us mm-hmm. I don't need to go back to this, it. They don't. It's it's governments.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So it's 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 tough. Yeah. The, the whole spectrum it's heart, <clears throat> it's heartbreak to anger. Mm-hmm.
0: How um have you been able? So you referenced that. Have you been able to stay in touch with several of the key people? who yes. you, you know. Yes. And um, how have you been able to stay in touch with them? Have, uh, some, have some of them fled the country, or a lot of them hunkered down? Some,
1: some of them have. One of the doctors, uh, she's gone to. Uh, she's gone to Czechoslovakia. One's gone to Romania. Uh, most of the doctors have remained there. Uh, they're, they're staying because they think they're going. I think that they will be needed uh so most of them are most of them in the medical field are, that i know of they've been able to communicate by email pretty fairly regularly the internet's still up so we're still communicating
0: now we've seen and heard the stories of uh, moms and kids women and kids boarding the trains uh, fleeing across the border but the men 18 to 60 have to stay behind and fight for their country right. and i'm sure you know people in both of those groups Yes um have you do, do you know of i mean that's that's the sea star kids those are um yeah. do you know of some of them that have fled and are now uh, it, you refugees you know, in other countries? Some, some
1: of we don't know where they are i mean because you know if, if just look at tv it, it's 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 the humanitarian crisis that we've not seen probably since world war ii i told somebody it's like looking at the uh, the history channel except it's not black and white it's now in in, in color it's and happening it's, it's, today it's in real time it's a real time. So we've we've lost we've lost connection with some of them. Uh for example, our, our, our star keepers, you know, uh, you know, Nastya and Nadia and you know, Katya and Natasha and Ilya. Uh you know, I know they're okay. Uh, our coordinator in um in Odessa, Lilla, um, you know, I pray for them by name daily. I don't know exactly where they are, but you know, a a couple of weeks ago I knew they were okay. Lots changed in two
0: weeks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So none of us, n- none of us have a clue um, what's next or how long this is going to last. No. Um, no. But as people of faith um, who believe in Jesus, uh, if, you, if you had um, some of your uh, Star kids or the uh, older young adults or their families who were listening to this message or you could talk to them right now, what's the message of hope? that you would give them, that you would tell them um, as your friends on the ground? It's
1: not to lose hope, not to lose not to lose faith, that, that God still loves you. It's hard, it, it's very, very hard. I had an email from uh, one of the people and the, the question was, where is God? Mm. That is a hard question to answer for a, a teenager or somebody in their early 20s. And all that you can do is say, you know, God loves you and, and He is in control and, but beyond that, it's, it's hard to explain to them. That's wh- and that's all you can do. And sometimes you just, you wish you'd be there and just give them a hug, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, uh, and tell them not to, not to lose faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are words, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it, it I, I don't know how to answer it. Mm-hmm. You know, Mark, I don't know how to answer it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And just it's, it's, it's indescribable and it does leave us speechless. And I'm sure um, – uh, this is not a preemptive question, So, but I'm sure you would love nothing more than to hop on a plane. Oh, and to go uh, hug their neck as they cross the border into Poland or to go into no. Kiev and, and find them and search for them. And uh, right now uh, all we have to offer at times is is, is our, our prayers and to encourage them when you hear from them. You know, it is.
1: Uh, uh, all you can do is pray. I don't know how many – Emails I've sent, like, like others like myself, who have deep connections over there. I don't know how many just pray, uh, prayers continue, praying for you. I mean, I, hundreds of those. And, you know, we, we'll get back a, a thank you. And th- I think just some of them know that they're, they're not alone, that we are thinking about them, that we do care for them. Some, sometimes just, you know, knowing that you care is is very very important to remind them that, you know you know that's what you know jesus taught us you know he, he cares for you you have to keep reminding them that although when it looks like the world nobody cares uh, so i think all the humanity humanitarian things that are being done by healing hands has ceased star kids you know and, and the bucket project and i don't know if you could talk about that it's that it's that tangible thing it's like okay it's just a bucket. Some people say it's just a bucket with things in it. Um, you watch that. You watch the TV and you see that family and they're pulling their uh, their one suitcase and they've they've left their flat and they don't know if they're coming back. They don't know where they're going. They don't know next week. And and at least somebody's there to say we care for you and and here's here's some some basics that that we think you'll need. Of thing And, and somebody 7,000 miles a week away that you'll never meet this side of heaven uh, cares
0: about you. Gary, that's a good segue uh, talking about the Family Bucket Project. We're now going to bring aboard Art Woods, our president here at Healing Hands International, so we can talk about our partnership with Gary and Sea Star Kids. Art, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So, all of us, over the last couple of weeks, we've read the news, we've seen the videos, and as Gary and I were just talking about a minute ago, we just feel helpless, and we ask ourselves the questions, how can we help, what can we do? And there's a lot of great organizations out there to support, there's tangible ways, but immediately upon the invasion, when Russia crossed over into the uh, Ukrainian uh, border, um, we began to ask ourselves those questions right here at Healing Hands. Um, and Art, just tell us a little bit about um, this is not new territory for us, uh, responding to a disaster in Eastern Europe. Um, this is something that takes us back to our, our re- the beginning to our roots. So tell us how this particular humanitarian crisis has really come full circle for us as an organization.
2: Now that's a great uh, point and I didn't think about this actually until Gary and I were talking um, earlier in the week and how 30 years ago actually this year Healing Hands was started on the campus of Lipscomb University through a a different uh, event but it was still a very significant event with the fall of the Berlin Wall and all the need that was connected with that and so it really is a beautiful way, I think, of how the body of Christ comes together to address things that are happening around the world that, that need um, us as believers to speak in and to, to be salt and light to people in the hands and feet of Jesus. So when when I heard that there was an opportunity to partner with Gary and C Star and others that are working uh, to do this budget, bucket project, it was a no-brainer uh, for us uh, to think this is exactly what we need to do and how we can get involved. And so... I'm really grateful for Gary's passion for that, his vision for it, and we're just linking arms with them and others to to see if we can't uh, make a difference.
0: So, over the last several days here in the office, uh, we've been scrambling to determine how can, how we best can help. So, Art, tell us how we are responding and what people
2: can do to help who are listening. Sure, um, the the Bucket Project has been the real tangible thing, and that's what I love about it. It's hands-on; people can actually say, "I can do something." Uh, Money is also obviously a very important thing, and we've had people step up and and bless us with financial resources. And we're really looking at this as a a multi-pronged approach because the reality is this is not going away with just one event or one uh, uh, piece of assistance. It's really going to be over time. And so the way people can help get involved is these buckets and helping fill those buckets so that we can get those into the hands of people that need them. Uh, We're also sending resources to, uh, I just got off the phone with someone that's going to be working with us through Atlanta that's going to be getting money into eastern Ukraine with individuals and small churches there. They're still able to get resources. Uh, Those are going to be going even today to help get them what they need immediately. And then uh, we're making connections in the western uh, countries surrounding that um, to be able to get money into those churches that are becoming refugee centers. Um, and be able to get them the things they need to, to be able to welcome people there uh, that are coming with literally uh, they're, the only thing they have are things in a bag. They just don't they, – they're bringing nothing with them and, and don't know what the future looks like. And so,
0: Yeah, on Friday of last week, we had 10,000 five-gallon buckets uh, show up in our warehouse, right? Yes, and, yes. Um, since then, we've already dispersed almost 6,000 of them to local churches and individuals who just wanna help out. And this is a very tangible way uh, where they can help out. Gary, uh, tell us a little bit about what's gonna go in these buckets and then um, how are they gonna help those people who receive them like we've referenced? Um, We'll talk about logistics here in a minute, but tell us a little bit about uh, what's gonna go in these buckets and how they're gonna make a difference it's the basics? As, as Art just said? I mean, these people
1: uh, watch the TV. I mean, they they've got uh, a suitcase or suitcases, one per person. What they can carry and what they can walk with. So they have nothing, and so to be, so to be met with something tangible uh, is 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 enormous, in, in terms of uh, of telling them that somebody somebody cares. In the terms of the contents of the buckets, we when we when you get a if you pick up a bucket, we'll provide you with with the list, or you can go to our websites, the Healing Hands website or our See Star Kids website, and, and it'll give you the list. But it's it's a lot of basics, you know. It's it's some towels, it's some utensils, and actually we've got some things on there that can be used, like used utensils and used used coffee mugs, uh, but towels and. Uh, band-aids and antibiotic ointment uh, deodorants uh, shampoos uh, hand sanitizers uh, it's the it's it's the basics the things that will help them at least survive uh, for for ser- several weeks with those things and as, and as art said uh, th- this is this is the beginning of a, I, I sadly think it's going to be a very long road of assistance and and uh, I think that, that bucket is, is, in my mind, is kind of the, the, the nidus of awareness of, the, of what's coming.
0: Mm-hmm. We often reference, um, while we're doing interviews and having guests on the podcast, just the name of the podcast, It Takes a Village, because really locking arms with so many others is how our response of this magnitude is going to happen. We can't do it alone. Uh, not only our Organization, but so many others that are out to make a difference. So, for both of you, just for people out there who think systems and who are sitting there thinking, oh, "Okay, let me combine, let me get a bucket," but how's it going to get there? <laughs> um, uh, Art, let me start with you. How's this going to happen logistically?
2: Sure. Uh, we we were actually talking. Gary and I were talking early this morning, and you know his vision, which I was so excited to hear about, was you know, let's do. 5,000 initially, let's, no, let's do 10. And we immediately jumped in and partnered with them to do it. And, you know, we were talking about the shipping and he's like, my job is to get the buckets filled and you guys are the shipping experts. So we've actually, but thankful to to generous donors and some connections we have that the cost of shipping those containers was covered as of this morning. Uh, We've just had people Step in in an incredible way and be generous. So we're working now with a group out of central Alabama. Some of those will likely come on containers from, the, from here in Nashville. Others of those could be shipped from, um, from down in Alabama. So we're working. We've got a conversation even this afternoon about how we can get those the most effective uh, and the most efficient way to get there. Um, and so that's kind of this first wave. And there will be continuing deliveries of those buckets, my guess, over the next several weeks. As we we're expecting buckets to come in from Texas and Kentucky and other places, people that have called and said, we're getting our own buckets, we're filling them, we'll bring them to you. Yeah, you can get a Home Depot, yeah. you can go to Lowe's, yeah. Yeah.
0: buy five-gallon buckets.
2: Make yeah, you sure don't you have to containers. have our bucket. Yeah, you don't no. have to have our bucket to do it. It's yeah, not, but it's nothing, not an official bucket. Yeah, that's what's yeah, right. official about <laughs> our bucket. Yeah. So,
0: um, and when you go to our website, hhi.org, um, on the top of the webpage, it uh, talks about Ukraine and the crisis. You can click on there, and then it gives you the family bucket list that you can go purchase and buy supplies. Gary, once the buckets get there, how will they be distributed? Who, How will that happen on the ground? Well,
1: that's 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 still a work in progress, because obviously there's there's logistics and governmental logistics, getting people in. Uh, one of our... Uh, Art and our connections. I uh, think they, they leave for Poland on Friday, and uh, we're going to have some eyes and feet on the ground there very, very soon. So I can't give you a specific, but yeah. uh, people are working very, very hard. You know, it's kind of a three-pronged thing. Let's let's get things in the buckets. Art and our, our central Alabama friends will will get the buckets there, and then they're working on the the end of the pipeline uh, there. And it's not only Poland; it's going to be probably Slovakia and Romania. So th- there's there's lots of reconnaissance work that's got to be done on this project, (laughs) for sure.
0: Yes. Yeah, this is a great project just for you and your family to be involved in. If you have a Sunday school class or your church as a whole, we've had a lot of churches step up in mass and say, hey, we're coming to get 100 buckets or 500 buckets. And you can find that list of drop-off points on the website. But if you are a church... Uh, who is listening to this and you're not in the middle Tennessee or the southeast area and you want to be involved just call our main number 615-832-2000 and we'll give you more information about that and you can give funds like Art referenced you can give monetarily and we'll have supplies to go in those buckets and or we're partnering with organizations on the ground who can pr- who we can wire money to to provide immediate assistance Art you touched on that just a minute ago, but um, I mean, we have the easy ability to get the money there to help people immediately. Yeah,
2: that's one of the things that we've been blessed with with over years of experience is to be able to actually get money places where we know it can be used. And I just want to say, um, in kind of in closing here, that um, I really appreciate Gary, his passion and vision for what this has been. He's, he's made so many trips there and has a heart for the people of Ukraine. And we are very blessed to be able to partner with him and – This is going to be a long-term journey. And I I hope people will not forget about this in the weeks to come and months to come and years to come because this is a long haul. This is a marathon, not a sprint. And so what we're doing now is sprinting, but we need to be a marathon thinker in terms of how we can help. And we're grateful for all the people that have already given, that have trusted us to do that, and we will be the very best stewards, as I know Gary and C-Star Kids will be, with every dollar that's sent to be used to help bless the people of Ukraine and help um, give God the glory for all of that.
0: You know, in a moment like this, when somebody steps up to help, they're helping people whose names they'll never hear and whose faces they'll never see. Mm -hmm. But we know somebody right here in Gary Jerkins who does know a lot of those names, Mm -hmm. and he does know those faces, and he does know those families, and he knows generations of those families. So if you want to learn more information about C-Star Kids, you can go to their website at cstarkids.org. That is S-E-A, star, kids.org, and you can go to our website, hhi.org, to find out more about the Family Bucket, Bucket Project and or to give online. Uh, I want to thank both of you for coming on the podcast and for us uh, getting this information out. People are getting our emails. They're seeing it on social media. But our hope is that maybe a few people will hear the podcast and they'll, this is just another medium and another platform for people to uh, learn more about what we're doing to respond to this crisis, uh, both now immediately but also in the long term. So thank
2: you both. Thank you,
0: That's a wrap of episode 11. We appreciate you listening. If you're a first-time listener here on It Takes a Village, you can go back and check out our other episodes. And um, we really appreciate Gary coming on today, and I'm glad the Art came on so that we could talk about how you can get involved. You know, something that gary spoke about in his 25 years of going to the ukraine is when he said for the first several years that he went he would take pictures and he found himself taking pictures of places but then over the years uh, he took less pictures of places and those turned into pictures of people and it's all about those relationships and that is why we are doing this it's to help those people Um, likely who you'll never meet, but uh, who through your prayers and through your support, you can and you will make a difference in their life. So uh, as we end, we just want to remind you how you can uh, be involved and how you can help. You can go to our website, hhi.org. It is on the homepage, Um, all the details on the Family Bucket Project and how you can contribute financially if you want to give a donation. Or you can go to cstarkids.org. That is S-E-A, starkids.org. And you can also follow us on all the social media platforms, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for locking arms with us in prayer as we continue to lift up uh, just brothers and sisters in Eastern Europe, in the Ukraine, and even in Russia as they are also hurting for what's taking place. Uh, so stay tuned. We'll have another podcast coming out soon. And thanks for listening. See you. <laughs>